I mean, I've used all my best, like Keir Starmer material already. <laughs> like, uh, and I have called our Jitsi meeting five head. Um, <laughs> so, like, I feel like that already like implies a mockery of uh, Brendan O'Neill. So, yeah, sorry, I've kind of, ex- I've kind of like blown my load early on in the episode. <laughs> Shot your wad. Shot my wad. Shot wad, eh? Meanwhile, on the secluded coast of Little St. James. Hi, my name's Brian Cox, and welcome to the Anime Podcast. Now today, we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories and how the the moon is actually made of cheese. Uh, So yeah, hello, welcome to the Anime Podcast. Uh, I am the moderator and host today, James. Uh, we've got on the call, uh, we've got Will. Say hello, Will. Hi, I'm called Will. I'm not a cop this week because um, I'm not I'm not a cop ever, <coughs> but I'm not not a cop this week because I had a meeting with the IWW and I forgot to change my Jitsi name back to Will <laughs> and joined the IWW super like covert meeting as not a cop, which made me look really suspicious. So this week I'm just plain old boring Will. Still an MI5 agent. And we've got Dan. Good evening. Uh, how's your week been, Dan? Uh, slow. <laughs> lots, lots of work. It's not. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Dan, a man of many words. Uh, yeah. We have Oshin with us as well. What's the crack, lads? How are we all getting on? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, so, as Brian Cox said earlier, we're talking about conspiracy theories today. We're probably not going to be as sneery about them as a concept as you'll find on, like, Radio 4 programs or most other podcasts. The reason that we're kind of th- wanting to talk about them in this podcast is uh, we currently find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic where many countries are failing to take the necessary steps that are required to look after their citizens. And one of the main ways that they're able to do this and get away with it is the, the prominence of conspiracy theories in, um, in the world at the moment. Uh, I'm going to say Western world because I simply don't know how prominent they are uh, in the developing world. Uh, in the UK, Ireland, America especially, uh, they're pretty pretty big. Uh, they've got a lot of traction. You could say that some votes have been greatly affected by them. Yeah, it's sort of pertinent that we, we start having a, a discussion about them one way or the other. But let's keep things a little bit light-hearted as we start off. So what is everyone's favourite conspiracy theory? I tend to like ones the sort of rooted in science and have some kind of suppressive element where I'm a fan of free energy ones and it's oil companies keeping it, keeping it away. And like there's some guy in some fucking garage somewhere and he's, he's managed to solve the problem of, of energy, free energy. And it's the only reason you don't know about it is because of the oil companies. I don't think that's a, that's actually conspiracy theory. Like they have have spent a lot of money buying these new, new fangled technologies and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some evidence that 
oil companies or uh, energy companies anyway have suppressed emerging technology. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, that will lead us on to one of our points later on. Yeah, I was just thinking about it, and uh, I've decided my favourite conspiracy theory is probably that feminists are trying to make everyone vegan um, to increase the amount of oestrogen men consume um, to eradicate men. I don't really know how any of it works, but I've heard Alex Jones say it. Soy um, boys. Yeah, soy boys, that exact kind of thing. So even though like that's not how that's not what plant oestrogen is, um, and it's certainly not how soy works, and it's certainly like not what feminists like. I don't understand any of it. Like all the moves are so weird. Um, the chemtrails turn the, the frogs gay is like obviously a good, and that's kind of related to it. But yeah, it's just bizarre. Um, I think my favourite one has to be about the cultural Marxist and the Frankfurt School and how how they secretly um, set up an organisation to take over the world. And um, you know, people like Jordan Peterson propagate this myth a lot. You know the when he debated uh, Zizek, and uh, Zizek was like, what is cultural Marxism? Like, I don't know. I, I don't understand. So the thing is with Zizek. Sure. There we go. It's disgusting, you know? You have to do it with the, um, it's, it's mostly in the, um, how do you say, uh, like a good Stalinist. Um, it's, it's mostly in uh, the actual performative elements of it, though. <laughs> it's the the chemtrails are turning the frogs gay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's more like a Humphrey book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Sorry, guys. <laughs> Movie, baby. Yeah. Oh, no. Don't worry about it, Jack. They're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, let's let's get crack-a-lacking. Probably, let's set out what a conspiracy theory is. So what is the difference between a conspiracy theory and a plausible theory that maybe isn't completely backed up with evidence, but has some sort of either you know, like the circumstances or... A correct inkling. I'll give you a good example of something that was a conspiracy theory but was proven to be real. Lots of people would say that there were certain elements within the Labour Party in, over the past four years that were trying to wreck it within. Uh, and it wasn't one that you could just prove outright. And so a lot of the time it was, you know, hacks were saying it was conspiracy theory. And then the evidence came out and it was pretty much proven exactly the way that we thought it was. That's not a conspiracy theory. It was backed up with evidence. So what more what some more of the differences between a conspiracy theory and whatever else you would want to call the like the the tautology of a, a conspiracy theory? Um yeah, I suppose like a conspiracy theory normally implies like like I suppose the clues in the word, like that there's some sort of conspiring going on, that there's been like a group of people that have um arranged to like manufacture a certain event in some sort of way. No, obviously, in the case of the Labour Party, that that actually just turned out to be true. <laughs> so, so like some people within the Labour Party were conspiring to like undermine Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but I suppose like conspiracy theories, when we kind of think of what they are, like you know, when we kind of associate them with people that wear tinfoil hats, um, I suppose like these things are like global events that have been manufactured in some way um, by like a small um, group of like of nefarious people. Um, mm. And, like, I suppose it's a way of making, like, horrible events seem explainable because people want to, like, try and find blame for something. So, like, it makes sense, I suppose, if there's, like, a few people responsible um, for this, then it's, like, easier to kind of to point the blame. So, yeah, like, conspiracy theories, at least, like, as I understand them, 
seems to be um, where we think that a small group of people are calling the shots on a big global event. Boris Johnson can't even successfully lie about how many children he's got. So I don't know how like a few people could possibly conspire to like create these massive events. But that's just my pessimistic take. Uh, yeah, it should be pointed out, though, that small monopolies do conspire to um, manipulate world events. Now, very often governments or, you know, large corporations like Shell or something like that. But there's plenty of evidence to show them doing that. There's a regular thin difference between them. Oh, yeah. One of them's right and one of them's wrong. I, I, I think when I tend to look, because I, I do enjoy reading about them, and, you know, they can be quite, they can suck you in sometimes. They can be quite believable. But generally, if, if for me, it's the difference between something that's plausible and something that's implausible is if you take Occam's razor to it. If it's, if it's simple and it's plausible, then there's a good chance that it might be right. Um, but also, I, I tend to find a lot of conspiracy theories that make things more complicated, that require there to be more going on than actually might be going on. They tend to be the ones that are a bit more fantastic. I mean, you look at so Flat Earth, I know it's an easy target, but the mm. amount of effort that we require to keep, to keep everyone sort of thinking the Earth is a globe for whatever reason um it's just not it's not really reasonably practical to to think of it as realistic when you look at it in those terms um so yeah for me that's that's the main difference is does it does it make the world more complex or does it make it less complex mm. in a in a reasonable way if you know what i mean yeah that's yeah. actually a really good um distinction there uh ocean what are your thoughts um, I think I think conspiracy theories is um, basically that it it involves a conspiracy by sinister and powerful groups that aren't aren't uh, accountable to the public, and they're often political motivation. And then it also has to be uh, like like a, um, Occam's razor uh, when other um, when other explanations are more probable, but people still cling on to this you know idea that you know oh god you know uh, chemtrails are making turning my frogs gay or whatever you know so. Um, I think there's there's a few there's a few sort of elements elements to it, and there's also um, there's an interesting book by uh, Michael Barkin, and he talks about the three classifications of conspiracy theory. So there's event conspiracy theories. This is about uh, limited and well defined events. There's systemic conspiracy theories, and then there's super conspiracy theories. So that's like David Icke's ideas and stuff. You know. Sorry, did you say David Icke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I propose that's how we that's what we call him now. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> uh, David Ooh. <laughs> Let's say like 14th century Spain or something like that. You don't have that much information or you don't have that much access to, to information. It's not readily available. So you've you've only really got um what's outside of your front door in your village and everything else is pretty much hearsay. So you can imagine how rumors spread or um, misinformation spreads quite quickly. But mm. we're now living in an unprecedented era where we pretty much have all the information that humans have ever had uh, at our fingertips, and it multiplies day by day. So mm. considering that we have, you know, we're living in an era where there's more information resources than ever, 
how is it that we actually find ourselves in a factual deficit world? I'd say a lot of it's cognitive bias and people mm. unable to, to recognise that they have cognitive bias and also, on the same token, the, the cognitive dissonance that people feel when they run up against things that are against what they want reality to be versus what reality actually is. Um, mm -hmm. I know, I know when, when you go digging into conspiracy theories, they are seductive. They're, I mean, by design, it's, it's, I think it's innate in, in people that they, they want there to be something bigger because it kind of makes more sense of what is essentially, generally a lot of the time, just random events. Um, so I, c I can understand that. But for, for me, it, it's sort of you, you have to be aware of where your biases lie. And like when you when you look at these things, you have to kind of consciously be prepared to challenge what you think about things and what and and how you think about things as well. So to to really not fall into them, you have to kind of be prepared to to go through them in a sense. Because um, I, I think you can avoid conspiracy theories, and you know your your life will probably be fine if you if you get into them and then come out the other side of them. I think it makes you more equipped to, to deal with it in the world. Um, cause, cause if you come up against someone that's really convinced of a conspiracy theory and you don't really know about it, how, how are you meant to challenge them on it? Yeah. I mean, I think most people in the world are basically constantly living in a perpetual state of cognitive dissonance. Really, it's uh, it's a, it's about belonging and like having a sense of belonging. I think that's what flat earthers like. People don't understand that about flat earthers is that you know they have great sense of community. Like you know that we're in this together. We're fighting against idiocy, you know, or idiocracy or whatever the fuck they want to call it. Yeah. So I, I mean, it, there is a sense of belonging then uh, from for, for, when you believe in a conspiracy theory and and you actively sort of try and seek out and destroy anything that, that doesn't fit your worldview, so. It's nicer to believe that there's a cabal, a secret cabal of people that are very good at what they want to do in controlling the world, mm. and the reality, which is lots of small secretive cabals that are trying to control the world, but in the <laughs> most part, they're not very good at it. And they all bounce off each other, and it's all uh, in conflict. And so it's it's effectively chaos. But yeah, I think like the stuff should be important about um, people finding a comfort in um, thinking that it is the fault of like a few people, and maybe if these few people were removed, then their lives would improve. Um, and if you're like a member of like if you're particularly interested in certain conspiracy theories, there is like a sense of community involved in that, and that must be like like. You've got that Marxist quote about um, religion being the opiate of the masses, and an mm. opiate is a painkiller, right? And um, it's like to anesthetize you against the um, atomizing effects of capitalism. And I think like conspiracy theories play a similar role. Um, it's like misdirected anger. Instead of being angry about um, a macroeconomic system that's impoverishing their spiritual lives, um, they would rather just believe that actually it's the fault of like these few Jews guys here. or whatever. Yeah, so it's a lot easier to see it as a as a shadowy cabal rather than a headless blunder. Yeah, 
So there's some evidence, and I, I'm going to take this as, as spurious because um, I haven't actually digged into the, the research methods um, fully yet, but there's some evidence to say that the better educated you are, um, the less likely you're going to fall for conspiracy theories. And the older you are, the less likely you are to fall for conspiracy theories. But as Chomsky famously pointed out, you know, the more educated you are, the more skin you've got in the game. So. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, I wonder if, like, the older are more prone to believing conspiracy theories because they're online less. Um, so, like, I don't know if, like, if the article you read maybe had a kind of causal, like, explanation as to why this was the case. Um, because, like, conspiracy theories have really thrived online, right? And, like, if you're younger, you're more likely to be... Um, on the internet, we are watching things like um, what's that Alex Jones program called? Whatever, it, whatever it was, like Infowars, that was it, and like things like this, where it's just conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. Where if you're older, you're probably getting your news from like I don't know some bullshit like the Times or the Tory Graph or wherever it is. Boris Johnson's having himself photographed doing push-ups. Um, so like, yeah, I don't know if maybe that's got a factor to play in. So I, I think a lot of it comes down to sort of patchiness in education because I know with regards to the Labour Party and anti-Semitism that a lot of the anti-Semitism that was they would talk about online I mean it was there but it wasn't it wasn't explicit in the same way that it is in far-right circles for example um, I tend to find it was people who have come into politics having never been political and they've they've had their head filled with conspiracy theories, which generally tend to be from the right wing. And they come on, they come onto the forums and they'd be espousing these conspiracy theories without even questioning the fact that they might not be correct. And you, you try and say, well, look, this isn't right. Here's the evidence. And they, they were really resistant to it because I think in some respects, it was part of what got them into the, the politics of, the Labour Party under Corbyn, because they felt that he, I think in 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 some respects, the same as Trump wanted to, well, saying he would drain the swamp despite being the fucking swamp. Um, they kind of had that same impression from Corbyn where he was he was going to stand up against these forces. So I, th I, I got the impression for those couple of years on, on, on these forums that it really was a failure to understand how the political system works. A failure to understand how corporate power works, a failure to understand how political power works, really. That it to me, it's not that these people were necessarily stupid, they didn't even know where to research because these conspiracy theories they are seductive and they're a lot easier to access than knowledge that you uh, is actually well, wouldn't necessarily say valid, but you know, is, is actually empowering to you rather than which I, I tend to think conspiracy theory, if you get into it, it disempowers you in a, in a sense because you're not really aware of what's going on. You've got, you've got this perception that something is going on, but not necessarily the, what is going on. But yeah, that sort of brings us back to a reoccurring point that we have on the podcast, uh, which is that negation effectively you're talking about, like saying you have no power is thus a power. It's, it's classically Lacanian. <laughs> if you can if you can strip away your own agency by saying like oh, it was my fault it was you know the the jews at the the head of the table that stopped me from doing it you can 
we lay blame from yourself or you know it's not you're you're not in control of your own actions or um the consequences of thereof so it is it allows you to um cushion yourself from that and i think that has a lot of power as well it, it's it's almost irresistible you know that that you can blame someone else for for the situation you find yourself in and not take any responsibility for for actually the material conditions that led to your your being in this shit situation you know shit job shit relationship or whatever and um i i think i think that's why conspiracy theories have this this amazing draw to them because you can say look it's it's not your fault actually that you're in this position it's actually the jews fault i i have a, a sort of second cousin who's gone really deep into the rabbit hole and he, he'll basically believe i think he's close to being flat earth but he's not quite there yet mm. it's in, in like you said in terms of not wanting to accept responsibility for your own life in that respect um he really he lost custody of his daughter but because his daughter didn't want to see him because he was getting more and more into conspiracy theory um and he really doubled down on it once that had happened so yeah, it, it was a it was a way of negating his own responsibility and making mm. that happen. Yeah, I just like I suppose like I want to like piggyback off Oshin's point where he was talking about people feeling powerless. The thing is, people kind of are powerless, and it's not always their fault that their lives are kind of shitty. Um, and I suppose like you can you've got like three options you can you can explore with this thought. One is that it's it's like it's my fault, my life is shit, and you know you'll feel like. I suppose feelings of guilt and shame um, or whatever it is I feel when I wake up in the morning. Um, <laughs> the other option is that you think it's like the fault. It's not your fault. Your life shit It's because your boss is in cahoots with this like global cabal of people like conspiring specifically to make your life shit. And that's kind of like, that's like a way of like offsetting your guilt feelings and things like this. And that's kind of okay because you can see the people who fucked you over um, and the third option is that you see that your life is shit because um, capitalism has organized things in such a way that it's very unlikely that you'll ever succeed. Um, and that's like, that's a horrible feeling. That does not give you any comfort because there's fuck all you can do about that. Like, or like nearly fuck all you can do about that. And when the enemy is faceless and depersonalized in such a way, it makes you feel powerless in that there's like literally nothing you can do. Where in the second scenario, um there's still something there still is in principle something you could do just you maybe feel like that you're unable to yeah i mean i i just want to go back to to like what i what i was saying is it's it's not a not an explanation it's it's more an explanation than you know a reason and stuff and and a lot of people most people are very passive a lot of the time and they go oh well this is just sometimes shit be like that you know um they don't take responsibility for their own lives so they don't say to themselves yeah my, my this this thing is really shit um but i'm going to change it they go this thing is really shit and it's it's shit because of the jews or you know the you know big business or whatever whatever the fuck you know any 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 number of, of permutations on that um and then they use that to not take action you know to better their own lives yeah, exactly. So why do people think then that, say, in the past 10 years, that conspiracy theories have started to amp up even more then? I think to some degree they've been weaponized. That's definitely part of it, yeah. yeah. Also, I think it's back to, to Will's point where it's um, like a lack of agency that yeah. a lot of people have, you know? 
more and more people are realizing how powerless they are, but they don't have the critical theory to build upon to realize who the real aggressor is. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's also very much symptomatic of the fact that we don't have a Western superpower anymore. I mean, America is not a superpower that it once was. Uh, Britain is not a superpower that it once was. France isn't a superpower that it once was. And people are resenting the fact that, you know, we have a worse quality of life than our grandparents or parents, you know, and they sort of want to sort of explain that through, you know, um, sh shadowy, shadowy organizations taking all the money or, you know, stuff like that, when actually it, it's it's the, the problem with capitalism itself. To some extent, it is a problem with themselves as well. It's your responsibility as an individual to to assess the information that is coming into your hands or, you know, more likely into your ears or through mm. your eye sockets as you're, you know, consuming news. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, it's that complicated balance you have to strike with, say, the general public as, you know, as anarchists where you have to say, like, you know, look, yeah, things are shit, but also you're responsible for, for dealing, you know, for making it less shit for yourself as well. I mean, to go back to maybe like a, a sort of a more tentative point, is you know we were saying about older people um maybe they don't have access to the internet and so they're um less likely to believe in conspiracy theories but you know um there's conspiracy theories that happen on the news all the time they're right in front of your face and people they just pretend it didn't happen like are we really meant to believe that david david kelly like committed suicide um and it was all just a big coincidence when the media and governments push out, you know, these clearly fictitious events. Sure, you know, that seeds more into the fact that we're clearly they are lying because they are lying all the time. I suppose like people are bad assessors of complicated information because they themselves are not experts at assessing that complicated information. So like when we're talking about like people having a responsibility to um, critically engage with like a complicated narrative or a complicated set of data that they've been given, um, people often offset that responsibility to a trusted expert. So like, I don't understand string theory or whatever, um, but if there's like an article on it in the Times, I'll or like whatever newspaper, like, I don't know why I keep on going for the Times, uh, but if there's an article on it in like The Guardian or some bullshit, um, and the guy's like the science editor, I suppose like, I kind of trust them to, um explain that information to me in a way that i can understand and it's kind of time consuming and emotionally laborious to like constantly check and um, to see if this like person's reliable or not i wonder about like the responsibility that we have to constantly check our sources in an age where we are constantly bombarded with information and although i think we don't want to be deferential to experts um i still like i'm still comfortable with experts explaining things to me now the worry with this is you get non-expert commentators like fucking james dellingpole and um, starting to like be the scientific correspondent for the spectator whatever it was started um and he started talking about how climate change was like um an eu propaganda thing or whatever nonsense now that man's not got any science qualifications at all and how he became the main commentator on climate change for was it the telegraph uh, it was something like that um, is beyond me. And that is a complete failing of everyone's critical thinking, um, is to accept James Dellingpole's um, opinion on science. 
but it's hard. It is hard to like be that person that constantly like checks your checks your sources sources. I suppose. While while you were correct in saying you know it is also the individual's fault or that that their situation is is terrible. I think when you have sort of a government fed misdirection on a number of news stories, you know, every year, yet you can sort of see why people would say. Well, actually, what? Why don't I believe? You know, in you know that aliens are aliens exist and are you know secretly taking over Area Fifty One, because that that that's another thing that is is equally as implausible as as the stuff that they've lied about, and and you've and you have got more more fringe fringe uh from fringe news news sites like Infowars who are peddling are peddling um utter utter lies or conspiracy theories it's almost as easy to access them as it is to access the times or the guardian or whatever and it's it's very plausible that that people people go down that rabbit hole you know there's a recent um poll or a couple of polls uh that were saying that the belief and the trust in journalists were at all-time new lows uh, and who could be surprised about that? Because, you know, in the UK and Ireland, all the newspapers do is launder the government's reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, well, there's this poll released by journalists themselves. Can we trust that poll? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do I know that I'm even reading a newspaper? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, I treat journalism and the internet basically the same in it it's mostly bullshit and it's it's served me all right so far but i don't know that many people are, are equipped to deal with but to view to view things in that sense because it is quite difficult at times when even if it's something i agree with i'm very skeptical about it and i i'm, I'm very careful to check my sources and they said we well, said it's it's up to people to to do their own work and uh, i i I try and do that as much as possible. But I can understand why people don't because it's fucking hard work. It's it takes a lot of your time to try and keep your your head on the straight and straight and level level basically. You can do it by skimming a lot of the time. You know? Yeah, you can always tell when something's spiffing right away. It should be you know you shouldn't be sitting down with absolutely everything you take and and try and process it at the highest order. A healthy amount of uh, suspicion about everything that comes yeah to yeah well hey look you know everyone gets caught out as someone that you know makes satire on um on twitter occasionally even i get caught out by my own stuff you know <laughs> like i'll see it three or four weeks later i'm like is that real I can't... Oh, oh wait a minute i wrote that so just to clarify um you did a journalist like you studied journalism and you're now on a left-wing podcast how much money is George Soros paying you? Uh, <laughs> why this money out to us? You know, like it's like this, like owning culture where we're not really interested in pursuing the truth. We're interested in winning arguments, um, even if we win them despite them not being true, because it's a formal exercise. If you ever go to like the Oxford Union, the point of the debating society isn't to like find out what's true. The point of the debating society is to learn how to win an argument. Um, regardless of whether or not it's true. So, yeah. Uh, does someone want to explain what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? Oh, fuck. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically if you're... The less 
insightful and intelligent you are, the less likely you are to understand that you are uninsightful and unintelligent. So to put it like in a really rude and fairly crass and arrogant way, some people are too stupid to realize that they're stupid. Um, I think it like relates to that experiment where they asked people, um, are you a better than average driver? And most people answered yes. Now, by definition, most people cannot be better than average, right? Um, unless like they're being skewed. I don't know how average was measured there, but I assume it's like maybe like a modal average. Um, so yeah, it kind of like relates to that. Like some people are, everyone overestimates their abilities and you're more likely to do that if um, you don't have insight into the fact that you don't have these abilities in the first place. So how does one decide that they're not an idiot then? I mean, I think if you're asking the question, am I an idiot? Um, then this like means that you're probably not an idiot. <laughs> yeah, self-doubt. I think um, if, if you if you have the, the awareness to doubt yourself at any point, I think you, you're pretty reasonably intelligent. Was it that... That was what Descartes was trying to get through, was it? Like, I'm stupid, therefore I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I think I not, and then he puts into thin air. I mean, it's like a thing like super smart people do, right? Like, I mean, like people like really, like the amount of like people I did a PhD with who like really doubted whether or not they were half decent at thinking. And like, and I think there's something to be said for the idea that, um, having a PhD does not validate your intelligence because I know loads of like grade A morons who've got doctorates um, and I count myself in that category as well. Um, so I suppose it's harder to ex to like receive external validation that you are a smart person if you exist in an echo chamber. Um, similarly, I work in the English education system and I live in Southampton. If there is a village idiot in every village and Southampton Southampton would be the city where those village idiots would live. Like it's just it's like where they would all commute from. Like it's just terrible. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like yeah, if you, if you think like if you're kind of constantly doubting your own intelligence and this um, causes you to like be destabilized in your opinions about things because you're constantly thinking, oh, I wonder if that's correct. I better go and double check that because you're not intellectually secure enough to arrogantly assert something. That'll probably make you more intelligent over the long run. Maybe I don't know. Well, it, it's generally uh, it, it's called imposter syndrome, isn't it? And it, it's generally correlated more with higher intelligence, where the more intelligent you are, the less capable you think think that you are. Yeah, especially if you're female. Apparently, um, like women really suffer badly with imposter syndrome in academic in the academic world. Having say like a healthy understanding of what you're good at and what you're bad at is a good thing to have where you know let's i mean i don't drive but if you've got an idea of like here's what i'm good at doing at driving i'm doing it for a long time and i can concentrate like on a you know on the motorway for a long time that other people don't have but um i can't parallel park like most people you know that it's one of the most difficult bits but you can just be like oh yeah i'm, I'm more dog shit at that than other people that shows that you have a level of self-criticism that becomes useful you know yeah i suppose like like having like that self-awareness to like be uh, mindful of the fact that you are not omniscient in every aspect i mean look we don't want to paint with the the brush strokes that are too big but does that, what, what the fuck does that even mean <laughs> are you um, trying to say broad brush strokes yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I think what we find out is that my ability to remember analogies is not great. It is. It is fair to say that, like you know, conspiracy theories are, but they're not just like I, I have a friend who who got like you know, five hundred, six hundred points in a leaving search, um, which is like a lot of A ones in the the A levels or whatever. But um, he he believes in conspiracy theories, and you're like, how like. What what what's what happened to you in your childhood that you know you have to that's another another one that that's that's leveled at say people who believe in conspiracy theories, you know, that something terrible, terribly traumatic must have happened to them in their in their childhood. But he was just like, Look, it's it's uh it makes me feel good to believe this and just leave me alone, like you know, stop pressuring me and everything. So um okay, so we're gonna have to start thinking about wrapping stuff up a little bit. Uh so we're there's a couple of topics that we can pick up another time. But let's start thinking about how do we go forward in the world where we we live in an era where we can't even agree on very basic facts. If you can't if you can't agree on something that is a fact, like the the earth not being fucking flat. Where the fuck do you go from there? <laughs> I suppose, like, um, yeah, like, this kind of, like, gets into, like, the realm of culture warsy type stuff, doesn't it? Like, we, we all start, like, disputing what a fact is and, um, like, facts of, like, normative force, obviously, and we try and, like, work out what normative force certain facts have. And, like, the, the kind of one bullshitty thing about the culture wars is that, um, like, facts literally have stopped mattering. Um, and what matters more, I suppose, is like the presentation of facts. If like that presentation conforms more with a person's pre-existing worldview and confirms their pre-existing bias, then this will, this will be more palatable to them. So suppose if the question is something like, "How do we make um, how do we make facts great again?" Um, like, and we all wear red hats that say "Make facts great again." Um, I suppose like the thing we do is like. I don't know, like present them in like a really cool aesthetic, maybe by like, I don't know, having a podcast um, sponsored by George Soros. Maybe if he'd send us some money, we could like, I don't know, have better like recording equipment or some bullshit. I think like, um, like not to plug anyone, um, but like ContraPoints on YouTube does a really good job of this. Um, like she's got a really cool aesthetic. She's really careful in her arguments. And she does the culture war thing, I think, but really cleverly. She's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I think like this might be the way forward because it's not just enough to say to a person two plus two equals four, because like some asshole's gonna say, Well, actually, if you that's presupposing the truth of set theory, which was generally considered to be, you know, you're gonna get like these pillocks everywhere. Um so yeah, I think I think it's gonna have to be like a kind of cultural um presentation of facts. Kind of one of my final points would be before we move on to Oshin is that I don't think facts have ever really mattered. Um, if you just look at you know the history of politics, uh, the the Tory governments of the world, the Fine Gael governments of the world haven't let facts get in the way of what they wanted to do. To 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 do the old adage though, facts don't care about your feelings, but a brick to the head will probably do a lot more. No, he's still got. Do you want me to put on an Irish accent and pretend? To <laughs> no, no, no. You're grand. You're grand. You couldn't do my accent, man. Would you stop? Um, that's me no. literally doing his accent now. Like that is not Ocean talking. <laughs> that, was, that was me talking as Ocean. That's how good my accent has become. That's yeah. That's amazing. Incredible. How did you do that? Tell me more. Um, so I, I think I think that uh, 
there's there's a good a good way of looking at uh, conspiracy theories as the ultimate refuge of the perilous, and and um, they they keep us not only from the truth but also from confronting our faults and problems. And I think if you keep that in mind, you know, will will me believing this make my life easier? And will it sort of will it alienate me from certain people? Yes, then it's probably a conspiracy theory. But also, um. You, you should you should be you should be uh, looking for for stuff that that causes a bit of self reflection on 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 your own part as well you know and if it's if it generally involves the Jews it's a conspiracy theory. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a quick one. Uh, Adam Curtis, the documentary filmmaker. He he was in an interview with Adam Buxton and he he, he made a point that that sort of stuck with me and that people nowadays. They want something a bit magic. We're so so grounded in reality with the way the world is now. Everything is, you know, it's so material that I think people are looking for something that's like a, a collective, almost magic experience. Sort of the role that religion might have played a hundred years ago. Um, and I, I feel like there's a bit of weight to that. Not necessarily that's the whole deal, but that. People are looking for something a bit more than just the material reality. And if you could find a way to, to harness that, and maybe you could kind of rein it in a bit. Right, lovely stuff. So we're going to move on to Twitter comments. I jumped on and I asked people what were some of their favorite um, conspiracy theories. Uh, so from good friend of the show, uh, MCATS, at Tone Policing, uh, Maddie McCann's dad was the doctor who fudged uh, Jill Dando's autopsy. <laughs> I've never heard that one. <laughs> he gets about in conspiracy theory circles quite a bit because I've I've seen him uh, outed as a head of a pedo ring. So this one from Random Beef Generator or at Angry About Bikes. Uh, I think that the concept of conspiracy theories who have wild ideas about UFOs and pyramids and JFK came about at the exact same time the public were becoming aware of mass organized clandestine actions by the government. And I do not think that is a coincidence. It is a coincidence. Yeah, it's definitely a coincidence. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> but I mean, I, yeah, we didn't really cover the, the, the history of um, conspiracy theories, but they really did start becoming a thing in the 60s uh with the moon landings were faked or you know stanley stanley kubrick was um the one that faked them uh, you know at the time you've got things like the illuminati trilogy coming out um, yeah i mean that 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 was a, a real attempt to kind of synthesize every single conspiracy theory at the time into one book yeah exactly um and it's probably done more damage than good in the long run <laughs> It's a fucking trip, that book. It's a fun uh, fact, actually. All conspiracy theories, especially those um, James is currently reading out, was invented by Rebecca Long Bailey. <laughs> uh, okay, this one from Alec, uh, at Alec Eiffel 85. Uh, McCartney, this is Paul McCartney. Being a fake has always been a favourite of mine. The whole thing seems to rest on the symbology of the Sgt. Pepper's album cover, and that's it. It's I should have said this for one of my favourites, because I fucking love it. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. It's absolutely pointless. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's so fucking in-depth. It's amazing. 
if you were going to fake being anyone, why the fuck would you fake being the most boring man on the planet? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Dan, what is some of the reasoning of that Paul McCartney died and then was replaced with a double? He was basically, he was involved in a, a traffic accident. Um, I think it was pre-Sergeant Peppers. And that was it, basically. He, he had this accident and he was fine. Uh, but the conspiracy sort of started that he died and that he'd been replaced because obviously the Beatles were massive, didn't didn't want to stop the money machine, um, and the rest of the guys were happy to go along with it. And I think it, it, I think it stuck around because at the time they were aware of it and they actually wrote it into some of the songs. So they they actually perpetuated it because they found it fucking funny. Yeah. So this one from at Hailstone Howard. Savile being part of the Yorkshire Ripper killings and being Bible John. No then, no then, no then. Come on. <laughs> Let's get a grip on this. Well, that's what the Yorkshire Ripper said. Can we not just agree that he's a terrible human being and just leave it at that? Don't try and, like, you know, create this fucking diabolical monster who was involved in murders and, you know, all of this shit. He was a fucking arsehole who was abusing children for the best part of 40 years, but it was also the fact that there was no oversight of, of him and his position in the BBC that allowed him to get away with it for so long. So I don't I don't really think that 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 uh, that theory has it holds any water, I think. Well here's here I mean obviously that theory within itself is is bollocks, but um, <laughs> Savile is a good example of a conspiracy theory that was true where it was an open secret for yeah. for a long mm. time. you know in the 80s jerry sadowich did an album where he specifically he does a bit where he just says that you know jimmy savile is a nonce uh, and he was banned from the bbc for a very long time and i think the only like the last time i saw him on the bbc was actually playing jimmy savile in Stuart lee's comedy vehicle uh, I'm pretty sure that John Lydon, aka uh, Johnny Rotten, like he said on some BBC thing or whatever, that um, you know uh, Jimmy Savile was a was a pedophile, and again he was banned from it. So, uh, well, yeah, Jimmy Savile himself would go on TV and say this, right? Like, I, I genuinely. So I was watching. Um, like old things of uh, old reruns of I Got News for You fairly recently, and uh, Jimmy Savile was on one. And um, someone like you know how they do that like bullshit bit at the start where they all just like have a chat when they're all coming on. They were doing that bit, and someone said to Jimmy Savile, "What did you do last night?" And he said something like, "What did I do last night?" Two thirteen-year-olds, or like it was some like really horrible thing like that, and everyone kind of like laughed and looked uncomfortable. Um, and I just, I'm just like, this man is like literally admitting to abusing children. Everyone kind of knows he's abusing children. And he's so fucking brazen about it um, because he knows no one's going to do anything. Um, but yeah, it was, it was true the whole time. And, it, you know, it was covered up by the higher echelons of the BBC. So then if that's true, you know, how are you meant to make people believe in things that, you know, like COVID isn't real, you know? So we got the last two here. This one from the Who Guru or at Balan Henst. Avril Levine or Levine one will always have a special uh, place in my heart. And so that one was that Avril Levine was placed replaced by a uh, uh, a body double, isn't it? 
Never heard that one. I, I did check this up yesterday, but I pretty much forgot about it. I think, yeah, I think there is a, is a theory about that, actually. Um, the the last one from Guybrush Tweetgood or at Gordo Pollitz. Uh, how can a penis be both for piss and cum? <laughs> Finally, the real question. <laughs> what was that? I was, I was like, when we get to this. <laughs> oh, it just man, makes that's... no sense. It doesn't, no, it doesn't. I mean, really, that's amazing, amazing. Okay, so I think that's all the time we've got for this week. Um, so have we got any closing thoughts that we want to... I mean, I don't have any of my own thoughts anymore. Um, <laughs> I can just, like, basically repeat whatever I hear on Infowars or um, whatever I read on um, J.K. Rowling's Twitter. Um, so, like, yeah, sorry. You just got to remember it's all bollocks. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that some sometimes uh, conspiracy theories have have a benefit. Like if you look at the Watergate scandal, that was that was widely considered a, a conspiracy theory, but it was actually, uh, you know, it was actually true. I, I don't th- I, I I can't give people any advice as to, you know, when when something is a conspiracy theory, do they does it have horns, you know, uh, anything like that? But um, yeah, I think I think it is a really really interesting interesting topic, and one that one that is important as well, given the the current the ongoing culture wars and everything, and how the how the right wing is 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 slowly trying to uh, to to turn the idiot voters out there against us. So yeah, you know? uh, and the voters against themselves as well. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I guess my closing thought would be, look, anyone can fall for a conspiracy theory because the the education system the media and the governments of the world spend a lot of their time trashing your ability to do critical thinking we're at a time where there is more information more than ever but a lot of it is absolute bollocks as we said it is difficult to to sift through it but you owe yourself and those around you to to think about what you're reading or what you're seeing and to just pass it by your own brain. Um, does that make sense? How does that fit in with things that I know behind? I wonder what this guy said about it. You know, maybe not even that evening, just write it down to check it You know, later on. Uh, we're definitely living in an era where the, the Goebbels maxim of make the, big, like the, make the lie big and say it often is... Mm. It's truer than ever because um, that's what they're doing, and that's how they're getting away with a lot of the the bollocks that they are. On top of that, look after yourself as well. If you're burnt out and you're not thinking straight, then it's a lot easier to get one over on you. So you've been listening to the Anime Podcast. We had Dan, Will, Oshin, and myself, James. Uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, give us a like or subscribe on whatever you're listening on. Share it to your friends. Share it especially to your enemies because we either A, want to upset them, or B, um, bring them over to our side. And enjoy the rest of your week, folks. Bye, guys. Bye. See ya.